0: The night before, the rescue helicopter had taken two people off the route next to the one we were looking up at. They had taken more than 10 hours to get to the top and couldn't get down after night had fallen. That was a mammoth 12-pitch, four meter route up to the top of the peak at 3,185 meters, and one my friend Eager had just told me we will try tomorrow. Mmm, okay. I'd only ever climbed once before on rocks, a small two-pitch climb just outside Marseille the year before. Our route today was a five-pitch, 200-metre route of a beautiful slab of polished schist rock. It looked stunning, as did the views sweeping down the valley over lakes and faraway peaks. It was wild and really felt like we were deep in the mountains. It was late, having only arrived in Briercon that morning on the night train from Sheffield via Paris. It was already after 2 p.m., and there was a risk that we would become the second casualty of the rescue helicopter if we didn't climb quickly. No pressure.
1: Welcome to the Roaming the Earth podcast. I am your host, Drea Castro, and I'm here with Karsten. New Zealander Karsten Coles has lived and worked across the world before settling in Sheffield, England, where he lectures in English and publishes travel magazine, Run Wild. The magazine was inspired by a course featuring talks by editors of Delayed Gratification and Serial. That was when I knew I really wanted to do my own magazine, he says. When asked to describe his magazine in three words, Karsten described it as travel, adventure, and environmentalism. This was an excerpt from a mag culture interview with Karsten. Thank you so much for being here, Karsten.
0: Uh, you're welcome. <laughs>
1: Uh, so tell me about that excerpt.
0: That was a kind of a fun trip. Uh, I've got a French friend, Iga, who gets me into lots of trouble. Every time I uh, g- go on an adventure with her, she makes me do something scary. And this was uh, something really quite scary. Uh, it was my third uh, rock climb on on real rocks. And um, yeah, she took me up a 200 meter cliff. Um, and then we had to upsell down from the top of the cliff uh into midair she only realized that we had to do that at the top and
1: um oh she God. she
0: she taught me how to uh, abseil down safely and then she disappeared off the edge and told me to follow <laughs> so yeah that was a that was a fun trip i was just going to say that it's it's uh one of the articles in in uh, second issue and um yeah it, w- it was a fun trip
1: that is amazing i cannot believe that that was your third <laughs> rock climb. That's like my next thing that I want to do. Like right now, I don't do technical mountains or technical summits, but eventually that's what I will, what I'll get into. So I'm admiring all of your adventures and read a few of your uh, excerpts in your magazine. So Carson has this awesome magazine called Run Wild. Tell us about that magazine and how you started it, why you started it.
0: Um, I, I love travelling. I, I, I guess as you travel more and more, you, you maybe look for more adventurous things to do. Uh, once you've done all the city breaks, you want to find something a bit more interesting. I think after many years of travelling in many countries, um, I wanted to have a bit more purpose to travelling, a bit, a bit of a, a way of meeting um, interesting people on my travels, communicating uh, what, what travelling and adventure is really like. And I, I didn't think there was a magazine out there doing it. There's lots of travel magazines looking at kind of the dream world of travel, but not many that were looking at maybe the realities as well as the, the highlights. And I try to involve scientists and other people I've met traveling in the magazine. It's something more than just a travel magazine, more of a, a look at the world around us.
1: And what inspired you to go, you know what, I think I should, I should do this magazine thing. I want to start telling these stories. What kind of brought you to that phase in your life?
0: From a young age, I'd always wanted to be a writer. Uh, I don't think it's a very easy job to be a writer nowadays. And I quite like the idea of being able to write short articles and the idea of the design elements uh, and choosing the paper and uh, working together with other people on their articles, I thought it was a more of a um, community kind of venture than just, you know, thinking about writing your own book.
1: It's not an online magazine. It's an actual physical magazine.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: That's rare nowadays.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it, it, it's kind of a thing in in England, it, it, uh, especially in London. Um, I'm not in London, so in my whole uh, large region, I've, I'm the only one doing a print magazine that I know of. But in London, there's a good hundred independent magazines. Um, and there's some good ones in America as well.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. There, there are. But it's funny, though, because a lot of the magazines are now becoming online magazines. But I, there's something I love books, you know, like I like online stuff, but I just. I prefer having that physical paper, like feeling that paper or something or turning the page. So it's nice and refreshing to hear somebody that's doing, you know, a physical magazine, because to me, that's, that's the only, that's the way, I don't know, maybe I'm old school. <laughs> you know, like, I yeah. love like having a book, a physical book or a physical magazine.
0: I think it's uh, um, really coming back into our societies now. I had a collection of records that, uh, that I would had for years without a record player and I finally got around to getting a, a nice record player to play them and uh, they've really um, in Europe and especially in England records have really come back in. I think people uh, just don't want mp3s on no. their computer cars anymore, they want a physical thing and I think the same for, for good books and independent magazines. Uh, I think People are a bit fed up with um, the kind of media that we we have. Um, even in England, the BBC is, it, it, I think, has, has gone downhill. Uh, and the idea of getting an independent viewpoints about loads of different topics, sometimes crazy stuff. The paper element for me is is really special because um, I love the smell of new magazines, uh, new books, um, and with the independent magazines. Um, the, we choose the paper carefully. We want to have a, a certain feel for it. Um, the paper I use is is uncoated. Uh, it's um, post-consumer recycled as well. So it's a really green magazine. And um, I like the idea that it, it's a collectible thing. It, it's uh, it's printed really well. So it, it's the idea is not to throw it away, but to collect it or to give it away to friends to read. Um, and that whole kind of loop system where it, it carries on.
1: I love that. Um, yeah, and I agree with you about records. I have a record player and I have a record collection just like with paper. There's something about the texture of the music that you hear. You, I don't know. You could feel it in the same way that you feel paper. I get it. And I'm all about like paper quality, too, <laughs> so I get you <laughs> I'm right there with you. When did you start this magazine? How did you start this magazine? <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, I sometimes wonder that myself. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, it started back uh, March 2019. Um,
1: Congratulations. And
0: thank you. So we've, we've got our fourth issue coming out in two weeks. Uh, it's kind of weird to think of the fourth issue coming out. First issue is kind of is tricky and easy at the same time because you've got a lot of material ready for your first issue from years of traveling and contacts. But then again, I, I've, I've done most of the, I did all the design and a lot of the photography is done by myself. It's a lot to start a, a magazine to even find out how to get it printed. I had to learn InDesign, which is what most people use to, to design magazines.
1: So you did it yourself? You were just like, oh, yeah. I'm doing this thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did it myself. So the, the first issue had quite a lot of my writing in uh, and since then uh, each issue's had quite a few contributors. We've got eight writers in the current issue together with photography and it's a lot of work putting it together but it's a lot of fun as well and really interesting in trying to put together different articles to, to fit with a theme and to tell a story uh, about um, how, how the world is around us.
1: I love that you just kind of just put your feet in and decided to go for it. Because I think a lot of times you have these dreams. They stay dreams. They don't become our realities because we're too afraid of the work that goes behind it or too afraid that we can't kind of try it out and not be afraid about it. So it's like, I really commend you on that. And that's, that's amazing. I met Karsten because of a friend of mine, Whitney, told me about Carson starting his own travel magazine I was like I want to talk to him I want to hear all about that because that is such a rarity to find somebody that fully immerses themselves in their in their goals in that way especially a magazine that's just that's amazing so good job thank you (laughs) tell me about the challenges that you face in starting a magazine
0: um, there, there's huge challenges. Um, the first is you you need to raise money to pay for the printing, uh, and, and when you start off, you're not printing men mag- magazines, and the printing cost is is really a lot. <laughs> uh, so that that's one issue, uh, and actually just finding a, a printer that's going to uh, print it really well uh, it takes some time, uh, and then. Um, I mean you're talking about just going ahead and doing it, Uh, well that's really what I did. I I, uh, designed it, um, uh, got it printed and then once I had the magazines I then went to the shops to get them into the shops. Wow. So when I I first uh, printed it I had uh, no (laughs) stockists. Wow. Yeah. and. yeah, just because it had uh, been a, a kind of a, a dream of mine for a couple of years and I just said, right, let's just do it. This is the deadline. It's going to get done by then. Uh, and it was such a, a lot of work to, to get it done that I hadn't got round to going to the shops. Uh, but luckily, we've, we've got some really fantastic in, independent um, magazine stores around Europe and, and I managed to get it into nearly all the stores that I wanted it into. Um, including some of my dream stores in places like Berlin um, and Brighton in uh, in London, wow. and now I've got it's it stocked in uh, in China and Taiwan and New Zealand and Singapore and uh, some really fantastic places.
1: So what's the most fulfilling thing that happened to you when you open this magazine so far?
0: Yeah, quite quite a few. I, I think just working with with writers, um, I, I make quite um uh if you look at my magazine most of my writers are female i really wanted to push female writers particularly young ones the kind of venture travel area is uh, full of a lot of macho men uh, and i think there's a there's a lot more uh, interesting voices out there i've mainly got female writers as well as um uh, some male writers as well latest issue i've got a, a whole mix of of different types of people, kind of trying to fit in with the, the people you see in the world around us. And, and some of them have never published before. So I really enjoyed working with them. Sometimes I had to edit a lot to, to get it into a, a good article, but that was some of the joy of doing it with people. And since some people have published in my earlier issues, they've gone on to uh, publish in some of the big travel magazines. Uh, and uh, And that's kind of special for me.
1: Yeah, you're almost starting a new career for some of these young women, and that's pretty incredible. That's cool. Well,
0: well strange enough, I actually, <laughs> I actually changed someone's career. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I met a really interesting um, uh, woman hiking in uh, Colombia in the rainforest. I was going to write an article about uh, the trek I'd done in the rainforest. I, I just thought, actually, it's going to be much more interesting coming from a Colombian. So I contacted her and, and she, uh, I did an interview with her in the first issue. Uh, and in the third issue, she wrote an article in the end because because of the experience of the first issue, she decided to change her career. And she's now a travel writer writing in Colombian magazines. Oh, um, my
1: God. So,
0: yeah, that was that was kind of cool.
1: I love when you you decide to do something in your life, and then that catapults changes in other people's lives. It's like the butterfly effect. You totally change somebody's. That's so cool. I just that's very very admirable. How amazing! And that's going to continue to happen for you. I feel like the more um, opportunities you give to younger writers, the more you are going to make this significant impact in their life. So what are some tips and tricks do you, you have for somebody who would like to start a magazine or just even meshing their passion with their work?
0: Yeah, starting a magazine, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I'd recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, it, it. It's a lot of work, but uh, if it's something that really interests you, then it's a lot of um, really in- inspiring and, and fulfilling work. So why not? And, and there's, a, there's a big scene for uh, zines, uh, which you can produce at home. Um, there's literally thousands of them in England uh, and I'm sure in America as well. Um, so maybe even starting off with a zine where you don't need so much money to to set it up.
1: What is a zine?
0: Uh, it's um, it's like a, a, a homemade small version of a magazine um, often printed on your printer and folded and stapled together. Um, sometimes it's a it's, uh, rezo printed, which is a bit um, more fancy. Um, And they kind of can vary from uh, £1 to uh, 5 or £6 each, so like, uh, you know, uh, maybe $8. And um, uh, some of the magazine stores uh, also stock some of the zines. um, And and it's it's not for profit, really. It's just for a bit of fun and a bit of passion. And and I think that's a really great way of starting. Um, And if you do a magazine maybe don't do what I did and uh, actually get involved with a, a group of people, uh, it, it, it makes it a lot less work. <laughs>
1: yeah. How many countries have you traveled to? Like before the whole magazine thing?
0: Yeah, so um, I mean, that, that in a way that's an interesting question because um, there's not a, a set definition of how many countries there are. Um, America doesn't like um, recognizing some countries, for example, Taiwan. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Isn't that silly? <laughs> yeah, um, so you first have to yourself decide what, which countries are countries. England's a really good example. Um, we're not really a, a separate country. We're part of the UK. Mm-hmm. So, um, some people travel around, uh, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, and say they've been to four countries, but they just haven't. They've been to one. <laughs> right. Um, I'm sure your friend Whitney will uh, be counting all those. Um, yes, I believe, um, Two hundred and four countries is kind of the number of real countries, including ones that um, some some uh, people don't recognise. I think my latest count is sixty-eight countries. Sixty-eight—that's
1: uh, amazing.
0: And a lot of those I've been to, you know, a good eight, eight, ten times. Um, so I, I, I think if if you're just counting countries, it's maybe the wrong thing to do. It's if if you go to a country and you really enjoy it, go back, um, explore more. Um, find out some of the the hidden areas in it and and for me that's much more fun than flying into a a city for a day or two and then flying out somewhere else
1: i definitely agree i think it's really really fun when you get to immerse yourself in a country for a while or come back and continue to find new corners of that country and really really get to know it um what's your what's the most favorite place that you have traveled to that's hard. Yeah, I've been
0: asked that a few times, and and um, yeah, I can't. I, I, I literally can't pick one, but I can. I can tell you a couple, and I, yeah, I kind of have a recent favorite, maybe uh, just a bit um, unusual places. I, I really enjoy Colombia. It's such a fantastic country. It's um, on
1: my bucket list.
0: Yeah, it, it literally has everything. It has the Caribbean coast. It has uh, a rainforest, which is the most biodiverse in the whole world. Um, it has the Amazon in the south. Uh, the people are amazing. It's pretty safe. It's safer than Brazil. For me, that's a really great country because it's so easy to travel around. It has that whole backpacker spirit still. Uh, it's super cheap. Yeah, that, that, I really like Colombia. Uh, and then my probably my favorite recent one I, I went to last year was Svalbard. Which is uh, uh, an island very close to the North Pole. It it it's part and of I Norway. I was like, I've
1: never heard of that before.
0: Yeah, literally, look it up. Uh, it it's um it, it's north of Nor Norway, but it's really north of Norway. Um okay. And in in the winter, um, the ice uh, shelf goes right halfway down the island. Um, so wow. depending where you go, you you can only um uh, sail to some some places uh, and it's really cheap to fly, uh, from Norway, uh, Oslo and Norway up to it. Uh, it's a little expensive when you get there because, um, it's got 3000 people living there and 3000 polar bears. So why? Yeah. 3000 polar bears. Oh my
1: God. <laughs>
0: um, and, and you walk for into me, a bar,
1: there's like a polar bear and Bob from like, you know, <laughs>
0: Yeah well it's got it's just got one uh, small kind of town and if you (laughs) want to leave that town you you have to go on a tour which makes it a little bit expensive to do stuff but um, because your tour guide will have a gun on them and flares in case a polar bear comes along which it doesn't happen much. Um, But for me the the best thing about it is uh, I can't afford Antarctica, it's my dream place. Um, I don't have my ten thousand or fifteen thousand dollars to get there. Um, you will though
1: it's going to happen
0: yeah it's going to happen but Svalbard is is uh, like a mini version it's it's so close to i think getting to antarctica and, and it's like the backpacker's budget version and and it's a fantastic place um so i really really enjoyed my time there
1: tips and tricks for anybody who want to travel to those two places colombia or i can't even pronounce the name
0: svalbard <laughs> oh, <laughs> Colombia, uh, I mean, at the moment, obviously, with uh, the airlines having issues, but um, when it gets back up, the, uh, there's some budget airlines, so you can fly around Colombia quite easily. Um, the issue is you, you, can't, you can't use all the roads um, still. So, to get down to uh, the rainforest, there's a, um, a great city called Leticia, uh, and it's right on the border between Peru, Brazil, and Colombia. Uh, you can actually just walk over a bridge into brazil it's quite fantastic there's a there's a brazilian town on the other side of the border so you have this uh, amazing little uh, corner and there you can you can do the cheapest tours into the amazon rainforest uh it's more expensive if you go from peru or brazil uh and uh yeah i did a 5 day tour and i think it cost me a little bit expensive but not so much uh, i think it was like maybe uh 400 us dollars something like this for it's 5 like days it's like nothing yeah, I mean, uh, that was five days, yeah, um, and that was staying in the rainforest and um, in uh, village huts uh, with maybe uh, a couple of other people there, and uh, going out every night with the guides and stuff, and, and even uh, sleeping one night in a hammock uh, in the oh. rainforest. Yeah, so if you go to Colombia, you've got uh, Cartagena on the, the Caribbean coast, which is fantastic, and then in the ra- very south, uh, Letitia is is like the opposite extreme. Uh, and in, in between that close to uh, Cartagena is uh, the lost city trek yeah it 's amazing uh, it 's the most biodiverse um, forest in the world. Uh, it has four uh, ethnic tribes living there, um, so you walk past uh, or through some of their villages uh, it, it's it 's a really hard trek actually i was I was surprised I do a lot of trekking it's it 's a four day trek and it, and it is a tough trek, but uh, really rewarding i haven 't been to uh Machu Picchu I don't know if I want to go um because I I, I'll be a bit scared about how how um, many tourists there are but I think this this is a a mini version of it the the city um uh, was uh, lost for 800 years or 600 years and it's completely wild still so it's not like you just take a bus from from the down the road to Machu Picchu so yeah that's another place I really recommend there
1: I almost went to Colombia. I had a trip from, I think it was like Ecuador through Colombia. And that was on my, on my itinerary. I was like, Ooh, I want to go see this thing. Cause I love, uh, ancient ruins and, and trekking. So I had that on my list because so <laughs> I almost was like, do I want to do this thing? Is it, a, is it good now? I'm like, okay, I got to go there. That
0: is.
1: <laughs> How about the other country?
0: <laughs> yes, Sp- spellbad. So So um, it's great. You 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 spend a, a couple of days in uh, Oslo, the capital of Norway, uh, which is such a cute, uh, amazingly beautiful city. Um, it has an art gallery where you have um, you have the screen painting, the famous screen painting, and then behind that you have the statue, uh, uh, the Thinker statue. I can't remember the. Um, it's the, the famous one where he's doing yes, this. Yeah, he's
1: like mm-hmm. yeah. yeah
0: so in the same room you're looking at you're looking at the thinker and then behind the thinker on the wall you see the screaming like oh my god um so it's this cute small gallery with just packed full of amazing paintings um really great city yeah it's expensive it's um scandinavia but it's a great city to spend a couple of days and then and then you can fly up um directly up to uh svalbard takes three or four hours to get up there um and uh there's a, a really good backpackers um and lots of uh pricier hotels but the backpackers are just a, a normal kind of price really good um you could just spend your time in the town but that would be a bit boring um there's a great old uh, uh russian um uh, city uh, where they used to do coal mining. Uh, uh, oh, Weirdly, wow. there's there's still a Russian city uh, on the island where they mine coal. And you can go and you, it, it's this old Soviet-era city with all the old schools and um, <laughs> uh, uh And that's really beautiful. So you, you take a 10-hour um, uh, kind of cruise, little mini cruise. Um, we saw some polar bears uh, on the cruise.
1: Oh, my god
0: God, yeah really cute crazy. and um uh, uh so you, you you've got that and then you can do hiking with a guide straight out of the uh, out of the town um, which is also fantastic. You've got mountains right behind. I think I was there for uh, maybe five or six days. If I had the money, the actual activities are a bit expensive, but getting there is pretty cheap. I could spend a lot, a lot of time there. And in, in winter, you can do snowmobiles. Um, oh my gosh,
1: snowmobiling! Is so yeah, fun. to visit all these
0: places, like you do a whole day trip to go where I, 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 uh, I went um, by boat.
1: Why are you passionate about travel? What does travel mean to you?
0: Um, I, I think it's just a, a connection with other peoples. Um, yeah, I mean, you can, you can find out about your neighborhood and travel around England uh, and that's great. But, um, uh, Europe especially is, is such a fascinating continent because every single country in Europe, uh, is, is really magical in some way, uh, and quite different from each other. Surprisingly, you go from, um, I, I love train, uh, train journeys, especially I, I don't like flying so much uh if i avoid it i i can um uh, for a couple of reasons um fly, flying like 15 20 years ago was was pretty fun the 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 food was good the service was good um there wasn't queues in airports as much now it, it's just terrible <laughs> and uh
1: and you're tight unless you're yeah in class, you know?
0: <laughs> so the kind of romantic uh, air travel i think has passed us but um I see flying as a way of, of getting somewhere, and then uh, as much as possible, I go by train um, for environmental reasons. In Europe, you've got a lot of um, sleeper trains that you can take. I love travelling between countries on the train, and, and you see the the, ch- the sudden change in the signposting, the language, how the houses look. I think you lose that connection so much when you fly somewhere. You don't really know where you've left and where you've 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 arrived. And and a train, you really get the sense of uh, of the difference in the journey and. And I think that journey can be really quite special. So, even going from uh, I took a, a short train from Berlin over to Poland, uh, and I loved the border crossing, just the change. You could tell we had gone into Poland um, just by how everything changed. Uh, and Europe, you've got so much, so much of that, so that's really great. And you get surprised. There's lots of stereotypes around. Um, I recently went to Mexico City before uh, Corona hit us, and. Uh, uh, it was Some of the most amazing um, people I've met, actually, Mexico, I did a trip to Iran uh, the year before. Iranians are, are by far the friendliest people I've ever come across. Uh, they're amazing people, super friendly, as are the Mexicans. And strangely, it's two countries, um, American government seems to um, bully the most.
1: <laughs> yep, they so, do. They really yeah.
0: do. Yeah, so uh, often you find that um, what you've, you think you know about places is, is completely wrong. Uh, and that's something I love about travel. There's a lot of surprise. There's a lot of challenge. Uh, and you meet really interesting people. Uh, if you go to Patagonia, you, you don't meet people that like spending the day on the beach. You meet really interesting people. And, and for me, that that's uh, something special about travel.
1: I totally agree with you. And the two, The two places that I've traveled to that you go there and they're not there for a vacation they're there for a challenging vacation which i love that's the type of vacations i love where i'm trekking or i'm roughing it somewhere it was peru and and nepal because they're all climbers oh, um,
0: yeah so they're yeah. the
1: coolest people to meet so patagonia is actually on the top of my list it's uh it's tanzania and then Patagonia, those are the two places that I'm probably gonna go to next once the borders open and our passports aren't useless in the US.
0: Okay. Um, st- stick Ethiopia on your, on your list next to Tanzania. Okay. Uh, Ethiopia, I, I, I'd love to go. Um, it, it looks like such an interesting, beautiful country.
1: I would love to photograph some of the people there because that's my my focus when I go to different countries I like to do portraiture of the of the people there and kind of tell their story so that's like my my thing so I when I went to Nepal I focused on women and women's rights and women uh, getting themselves out of adversity by opening their own businesses and stuff so I, I shot them over there and I would love to do that in Ethiopia because that would be that's 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 such an interesting place. I've seen photos from there, but we'll we'll see what happens <laughs> when everything opens. um that's cool i I love hearing that you you also feel the same way because that's one of the things I love to travel to specific locations that aren't the usual places people like to travel because you meet interesting people. you meet people there with a purpose, like a greater purpose. I don't know about you, but when I went to Like when I went to Nepal, I met like traveling nurses, I met trekkers that were attempting to do base camp or thinking about doing Everest. Like it's just the coolest thing.
0: Yeah, Nepal's um, one of my all time favorites. It's uh, a a truly wonderful country and extremely safe country as well.
1: Uh, What kind of travel do you like to do? I mentioned that I like to do like rougher traveling.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I pretty much uh, avoid hotels as, uh, N- nearly always. Uh, I think hotels are only good with maybe a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, or uh, with a group of friends. Uh, it's virtually impossible to meet anyone in a hotel. <laughs> um, maybe in the movies they all seem to go down to the hotel bar and meet someone. But in reality, it will be a fat businessman in the hotel bar. Um, and and so I always uh, stay in backpackers um, or a, a wild camp or, or I, I don't really like campsites but uh, wild camping and um, backpackers. Every country has uh, amazing backpackers um, and you can normally find out which one's are best by reading through the reviews and when you go to the wild places like Patagonia you, you have backpackers full of really interesting people. When you see the people leaving the hotels you think I don't want to talk to you <laughs> just a, a, a different way of uh, looking at travel, I guess. And there's nothing wrong with fancy hotels. I think, um, if you're with someone, it can be a great experience, but, um, I don't think, I don't think you meet the same kind of people in a hotel as a, uh, as a backpacker would.
1: What made you start traveling? What propelled you to travel?
0: yeah um from very early on um my dad was living over in sweden so i used to uh, go and visit and i just quite as a as a kid getting on the plane and th- this was the times when you would have the hostess come and ask if you want to meet the captain you go in the cockpit and chat to the captain um they don't let that anymore <laughs> that was the best bit um you don't? You no you're not allowed in in, in the, oh. the cabin anymore um they have they have on lockdown. <laughs> um even the kids they weren't let in. Um so um yeah, that I guess that that started it. Um my mum's traveled a lot, she's from New Zealand. Um
1: so it runs uh, in your family.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think once you you take a few little adventurous trips, then you think, ah, oh, then why don't I go here and why don't I go there? And uh, annoyingly, you always um, kind of have a list of countries you want to go to, but once you've been there, you've already built up a much bigger list of other countries. So uh, I, I don't know if there's a, ever an end to where you think I've, I've done it. I don't need to do it anymore.
1: <laughs> I definitely agree. <laughs> but what made you go from? Were your parents adventurous travel? I'm going to call it adventurous travel travelers. Were they backpack, right? Um, th- were they also that kind of traveler or was that something that you explored yourself?
0: No, they were adventurous travelers. Um, they, uh, I think they had a van and they traveled around Europe in a van. Um, Oh my God. Your parents are awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Um, my English grandparents, I think my granddad built a sidecar on his motorbike and took my gran all around Europe in this, uh, Probably deadly contraption at the time, um, so they they just wild camped uh, and hitched the way around. Uh, I think maybe it was more common to do that um, back then because it, travel was so much more expensive. Flying, you know, years and years ago. Uh, now it's super cheap, and I think I think um, uh, especially in Europe because you can often fly somewhere for ten pounds return. Um,
1: it's amazing.
0: It's amazing and uh, also worries me because um, I think people just think, oh, I'm going to go on a trip and they just do a weekend trip and they don't think about the environmental costs. Uh, and, and you know, they fly to a, a beach in Spain or the Canary Islands, but it, it, it's the same as any other beach in a hot country. Same thing. So, yeah, so I, I sometimes, um, I wouldn't mind if flights got a bit more expensive, just the, the, the cheapest ones disappeared um so people a little bit um thought more about their their travels and and maybe if they could take a train somewhere instead um maybe companies need to give us more holiday time and then we can do this
1: i've never done the train thing
0: you have to (laughs) Uh, which
1: i actually again on my bucket list i want to do a train like a long you know a, a train adventure because in the u.s i'm sure there are trains here I'm like Amtrak and and different things like that. I, but- I've heard that
0: rubbish. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think that they're good. So nobody takes them, but uh, people love to do road trips here. Like that's part of our culture. So that is something that, you know, I just went on a road trip. That was amazing, you know. So it's something that's part of our uh, innately part of our our American culture but I would love to do a train like when I go over to Europe one day I would love to just kind of go around and do that whole thing because that is something on on my bucket list for sure
0: yeah they're, <laughs> they're, they're super cute and um uh in countries like Italy you have a uh, little compartments like in the old movies so you have like oh, six wow. people in the compartment um and then they the seats turn into beds um
1: wow
0: yeah it's it's a whole thing and and uh, and even countries like china has fantastic sleeper trains um very cheap um asian countries as well um yeah uh, and it's a real fun way of meeting all kinds of people
1: you get to experience this when you're in a car you see you get to move with the land right so you can feel how the land changes Like for us here, like when you come from Arizona to Utah, there's a complete change. Once you cross the border, it's like Arizona has these like yellow, yellow rocks and little different kind of desert. And then all of a sudden you get into Utah and they're red, you know, so it's just, that's cool. And I feel like you would, you would see that same kind of changes when you're in a train that, which is, and a lot faster.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, you, in Canada, you've got some uh, really great train journeys across the Rockies. uh, And I've, I've always wondered when I get become an old man, maybe I'll, I'll do that famous trek through America from the the very top through the the mountains down to the South. It's Um,
1: amazing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, that's when you, you've got money to just go, yeah, I'm just going to take six months off and I'm going to do it.
1: Yes. It's amazing. I, I just went up to the Tetons uh, and then up to Glacier and it was just so incredible. Like the, it's, it's, I see the pictures everywhere, but when you're there, you get to experience what that really looks like or what that feels like. The water off those waterfalls or the alpine lakes that you get to see. It's a whole nother thing. So I highly recommend you, you do it. Tell me your most meaningful person you've met on your travels
0: um yeah i've I've met so many interesting people um a lot of them i'm, I'm friends with and and uh uh yeah when i go traveling I, I i often think about countries i can go to i can visit friends i know um recently it's my friend Ega from france because uh she makes me do crazy shit <laughs> <laughs> Um, she makes you climb. Yeah, I was, re- <laughs> yeah I was recently in in the Dolomites with her and uh, some other friends, and um, in Italy. And yeah, she made me. Uh, this time, we we did um, some via Ferretta, which is when you um, you have cables on the mountains and you clip into them. It's really fun. Uh, you're 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 basically rock climbing in in big walking boots, which is kind of interesting. Um, but it's amazing, really amazing. Um, and then she made me do, uh, another, this time it was an eight, eight pitch, uh, climb. Uh, and this time it was traditional climbing rather than sport climbing where you have the bolts already fitted. Uh, so it's a bit more scary because you're relying on these things that you put in and are they going to hold?
1: <laughs> wow. Uh,
0: and so you actually have to hammer
1: them in, huh?
0: No, no, you, you, uh, you you kind of fit them into cracks and stuff, and then you pull them out, so you okay. don't damage the rocks.
1: Okay, okay. Um,
0: but it it, it it's slightly more dangerous than um, sport climbing, where where you have the bolts already in the rock, which I love. I I don't know why anyone wouldn't want to just do sport climbing. Uh, and uh, yeah, th- this one wasn't that difficult, but the after we spent about five hours on the rock face, and uh, at the very top, the last pitch was by far the hardest, and uh, I hated it. (laughs) But you loved it at the
1: same time though, but you loved it.
0: (laughs) No, at at that moment, I I vowed never to go climbing with eager again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But after a bit of uh, wine back at the campsite, I was recovered.
1: (laughs) What is your most interesting travel story? I'm sure you have so many.
0: Yeah, something I really, really enjoyed was uh, I did a trip to Greenland um, which was in the first issue. And it was my, my first real big adventure on my own um, with just hiking into the wilderness on my own. And um, yeah, that was, that was great. Uh, again, um, I actually met some Americans on that trip uh, and they had to fly all the way to Europe to then fly out to Greenland because there's no flights from America. Um, but you're flying from Copenhagen, which is a, a great city in uh, Denmark. And then you fly to Greenland, and I started the hike literally from the airport. So I left the airport door, and then I hiked. And uh, I I hiked for um, it, it was the the air, the international airports inside the not in the middle, but it's off the coast. It's 160 kilometers from the coast. And then I hiked to the coast, and there's there's nothing between the airport and the coast. Um, there's no people living there, um, and oh. so. God, uh, I, I was hiking, and the, the, there's a, a few mountain kind of huts that you can stay in. I also have my tents in, in case I wanted to put it up and it rained. It, it's just a, such an amazing experience because uh, I was off on my own. I knew other people hiked it, maybe 300 people a year hiked the, the trail. Uh, so I knew so it's I an actual eat. trail. Yeah, it's kind of a trail, it's a faint trail, and sometimes you just look on the map and go, I need to go over there, and you just walk for it. Um, and one of the best bits is um, uh, near the beginning, a couple of days in, there's a 20 kilometre lake uh, and there used to be a, a, a big canoe hire centre, but it, it didn't have enough people. So it went bankrupt. But the canoes are still dotted around the lake. So if you're really lucky, someone has canoed across and then you can grab a canoe. Um, I, I, I mean, like a really massive um, canoe for three people uh, and then paddle across the lake. Um And uh, I'd got to the lake and there was no canoe, so I was really disappointed. Oh no! I was 40 minutes walking, starting to walk along the edge, and then I could see this little twinkle of uh, metal in the distance. I was like, it's a canoe, it's a canoe! Um, So I I ran back. I I didn't run back because my rucksack weighed 22 kilograms. Um, I speedily walked back (laughs) and... um, Uh, uh, and met them just in case someone was coming behind. I didn't want anyone to steal my canoe. Uh, And then I started uh, canoeing, um, which was absolutely fantastic. Sitting at the back, uh, quite a big, long canoe. And then uh, halfway across the lake, uh, I was following along the the shoreline, but halfway across um, on the wrong side of the lake from where the path was, the wind picked up. Uh, and it was impossible to steer because uh, I had no one at the front to to, to canoe at the front. Uh, and I had to drag this big canoe out onto the rocks and camp overnight um, in, in completely uh, isolated place. Uh, and I had to wait for the wind to die down. There was no way I could canoe across to, to the path again. Otherwise, um, I was uh, uh, up against a big cliff. Uh, so that was really cool. Actually, I, I super enjoyed it because it was such a wonderful remote campsite. And um, uh, I followed a few um, reindeer tracks up to have a look at, you know, the scenery. And uh, next day, the wind died down. I, I got back across the lake. Um, but the first first six days, I didn't see anybody because there were some people ahead of me. I could see in the kind of books in the, the huts. Um, so I was alone for six days. Complete silence. Um, there was... Uh, no sound at all, so sometimes I could hear my heart beating. They had uh, some peregrine falcons and some uh, uh, white-headed eagles, and it was so quiet that I could actually hear, um, you know, a kilometre away, I could hear the the peregrine falcons' win- wings flapping. I could hear this... Wow. <laughs> sound uh, uh, And to me, that was like the most remote place I'd been to, and uh, and it was my first... Kind of time to do completely on my own. Yeah, that was kind of special. Um, surprisingly cheap once you get there because you just bring all your own food and you're you're camping out. So another place I really really recommend. Um, once uh, in the flights are maybe five hundred pounds um, from Denmark, uh, but once you're there, you can spend ne- nearly nothing.
1: What is the most challenging thing you've faced as a traveler?
0: Mm, yeah, I, I, I guess I've traveled. So much that I I don't really see things as a a challenge, more as something interesting to to kind of uh, get over. Um, I I still remember I I went to China um, many years ago when there was very few tourists. Uh, In fact, when I went to Beijing, there was only one possible place that you could stay as a foreigner unless you went to a five-star hotel. Places like China are super interesting because the street signs are uh, are in the Chinese language. Um, there's no English version of them, so you don't even know what your street name is because you, you can't read it. I remember going to the main train station in Beijing. Uh, I was going to do part of the Trans-Mongolian Railway and to buy a ticket, uh, each destination China had its own small windows. So you had these little booths and behind each one sat a person. And it was just to one destination, so there was about sixty of these uh, in a a long line, and uh, you couldn't read the name, so you didn't know which one was which. So uh, you'd just say the name of the city, and they would they would go and point you in a direction, and and eventually by chance you'd hit hit the right window.
1: Oh my god! Uh, And then you'd
0: get your little guidebook out, and you'd point to the 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 type of seat you wanted, and write down the dates. And for me, that was super fun. That was like an extra bonus of of buying a train ticket in this really strange way. Those kind of things really make traveling because nowadays maybe it's a bit harder to find places which are, are like that, because even China's changed massively since then. But, you know, on my Greenland trip, um, one night in, in the hut, some reindeer hunters, some Inuit reindeer hunters came in. I got to chat to them and find out about uh, um, their lifestyle and stuff and- and. Wow. When, when do you meet those kind of people? So. Wow.
1: I've never even heard of that. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever heard that phrase. Inuit reindeer hunters. Yeah. What was that like?
0: Yeah, I mean it was super interesting. I mean they were friendly guys. And traditionally, the Inuits, which make up most of uh, Greenland population, would have hunted reindeer. Um, They they looked after the herds, so that they would only hunt a a certain amount, and they would keep all that uh, meat over winter, and they would eat all of it and use all of it. Nowadays, the even the last twenty years or so, the the climate's changed so much that they're having trouble. Um, with the numbers of herds which are going down. So even in places like Greenland, there's a big climate change. The locals are seeing it. When you meet people in those wilderness areas and you you think, wow, it, there's, there's effects here as well, then you're, you're a bit like, I, I'm actually a vegan. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I find that whole um, side of things, the whole sustainability side of Inuit uh, culture, uh, so refreshing when you compare it to our lifestyles so it was for me it was fascinating to meet these people
1: i told you i just went to glacier the glaciers are almost gone (laughs) oh really (laughs) yeah well i think there's like i don't know how many there were before but there's some that aren't even there anymore and it's just it's very apparent when you see a glacier disappear with photos it's different when you're among nature and you see the effects because we live in our cities and we live in our comfortable homes and we see a, a rise in temperature and we don't think anything of it really. But when you see your environment actually change and affect the animals or affect a glacier in front of you, it's, it's you know, it's different. You, you know, you can feel the change. <laughs> what is the one interesting item you like to take with you when you travel or something that you purchase <laughs> if you have anything that you you do that yeah
0: kind of um after i did the greenland trip um i mean it was on a trail that i knew some people would uh, pass maybe not the same day but in a couple of days after um, but actually on the map um i wanted to go off trail i wanted to explore some other valleys and i was just like i can't Um, because you know, if I, if I, uh, broke my ankle, no one is ever going to uh, pass there. So, um, since that trip, I, um, bought a satellite communicator, um, Garmin, um, do them. Nice. Uh, uh, and they're pretty amazing. They're the same size uh, well. Actually, I'll probably even show you. Uh,
1: Ooh, yeah. Yeah.
0: This is my little baby. Nice. Um.
1: For anyone who's listening, the Garmin satellite communicator that Karsten has is maybe the size of your iPhone, a little bit thicker, but uh, really, really small and very convenient, especially when you're on the trail. Highly recommend. So
0: it's not a satellite phone. Uh, You can't speak on it, but it's pretty much the same as satellite phone. You just do texting on it and it has an SOS button. Okay. Um, That's uh, amazing. And they're amazing. This is this is the, the the kind of big version, but you can get one um, half the size that then has the screen that you use together with your phone. And I super recommend them when you're going really off off the trail because you know in Greenland there's there's definitely no phone signal. <laughs> no. <laughs> um And it and it just means that um, when you when you're in places that you think I want to explore here, I want to go camp up there. Then then it's I, in many ways I think it's completely fine to do that because. Um, you can, you can get help. Um, You push the button and and, uh, help, help arrives. (laughs) Right. Um, And then you can also message your friends even actually, you can send emails to your friends from really weird places. The messaging system is for your older listeners is like the old Nokia phones where you have to, you know, push the button four times to get the cake. Yeah,
1: Yeah, Um, it's like one, two, three, four, five. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. There's but uh, actually when you're in, in your tent at, at 8 p.m. and the, the sun's gone down and you're like, what do I do? I'm not tired yet. Um, it's a good way of, you know, spending half an hour sending a message. And so, yeah, for my adventure side, I'm like, it's just a, a great little toy. Um, and and in some ways I think that because um, I'm quite experienced in trekking and stuff, I, I don't think I'll probably get into trouble. You never know. But...
1: You um, know, yeah. for
0: me, it's, it's maybe if you meet someone else in trouble, um, that you can also send help for them, which I think's is uh, a cool thing to be able to do.
1: That's pretty incredible. How much do one of those things run?
0: Um, surprisingly cheap. I You can pick one up for about 300 us dollars. Um, and, and then. Um, you only pay subscription when you actually use it. So you pay for a month and it's, it's about um, 40 us dollars for a month and then you just cancel it when you don't need it. So it's about the same price as a, a normal phone. Uh, and um, yeah, it's great. And, and it's a, G- it alive. yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Being on this podcast, I speak to some of the most experienced travelers and hikers and trekkers and some of their experiences, you know, having a moose charge at you. You don't even, know. so it's like, you don't know. So it's just, it's good to have that emergency backup because I think about that often when I'm climbing. I'm like, ooh, if I break my leg here, like, no one will find me. <laughs> we talked about advice earlier about your magazine, but is there a piece of life advice that you can give to a younger you?
0: Yeah, I, I pretty much don't have regrets in life. I think people shouldn't. Um, I think you learn from everything, and uh, so I, I think my only advice would be um, take more risks. Um, uh, I, I've kind of, I, I kind of, when I decide something, I pretty much do it. So um, I've, I've not really stayed at uh, one job for more than two years, and that tends to be moving into a new country and try something new. Uh, but especially when you're young, and, and maybe especially now is actually well. once we can travel again but um being in america you can travel around quite a lot still um i think just just do stuff um don't get tied up with work um and actually my i i i i think when when it comes to work and life balance i think just just think about what life you want and then how much money do you need to earn to to have that life and when you earn that money just stop don't, don't take that management position, which you know is going to ruin your um, social life. Just earn what you need and, and go out and spend and enjoy uh, life.
1: Favorite treks. You said that you're a trekker. Favorite places that you've trekked.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, Patagonia is a great one. You've got the Torres de Paine um, circuit yes. in uh, Chile, which is really beautiful. It's, it's the really the O or the W? It's definitely the O, Um, the W a little bit is uh, slightly busy and then you get around the backside and it's completely wild and and very few people. So um, definitely the O. Um, And then you've got Fitzroy over the border in Argentina, um, very close by. So these are probably the two best trekking places in uh, mountains, trekking places in South America. Uh, And then a real great, a really great um, place to trek is New Zealand yeah Um, i i've I've nearly finished all the treks that i once have you um yeah i i've I've been quite a lot there uh the reason it's so amazing uh, is one new zealand people are super friendly it's such a great road trip country because all the uh roads are a bit like in canada the windy and interesting to drive along uh in in Canada and America, you've got brown bears, you've got elks, you've got quite a lot of dangerous stuff. There's yeah. nothing nothing in New Zealand that could possibly hurt you.
1: Oh, um, that's nice.
0: <laughs> and it and it That'd has be bear about spray. <laughs> yeah, and it has about 800 um, little mountain huts that you can stay in um, either for free or, or very cheap for like you know a couple of dollars a night. Uh, and they have really some stunning walks. So they have this um, thing called the Great Walks. There's, uh, I think there's 11 of them. I think they've just created a new one They're they're completely, f- you have to book them. They're really expensive. Uh, I don't like them. <laughs> um, but actually, if you don't do the Great Walks, um, close by a lot of the Great Walks are some really, really um, stunning ones. The, one of the wildest treks I've done is in New Zealand, it's called the Dusky Trail. Um, and Milford Milford Tracks are a very famous New Zealand walk, yes, yes. Um, and you go to to um, kind of uh, valleys down, um, uh, and you're into a much wilder area, and you've got the Dusky Trail. You need to take a little hire a little boat to get out to the start, which goes twice a week, um, which carries uh, maybe five of you across, and um, about. 200 people a year do this trek. You've got some amazing huts. Uh, If you like wild treks, this is is completely one of the wildest, most beautiful treks, um, I think, in the world. Uh, And there's very few people on it. So that's my my trekking tip for for New Zealand.
1: So where are you going to next after this whole COVID situation?
0: well i i'm i'm off to hamburg in germany in in two weeks um, oh nice there's a there's a big magazine fair um it's probably the only big one happening in europe this year <laughs> surprisingly wow. um so i I've, I've currently on my third lot of flights because the airlines have already cancelled two lots um so whether i can actually get there um and uh whether England or Germany has new restrictions in two weeks. So it's kind of exciting. It's like, can I get there or not?
1: You don't know what's going to (laughs) happen.
0: Yeah. And that's going to be really interesting, because there's a lot of really interesting magazines um, that are going to be there. And and just to go and chat to other magazine people, uh, find out what they're doing. And uh, the whole independent magazine seems really great, because a lot of people are doing it um, for the passion, not for the money. Um, uh, A lot of the magazines don't really make money, because it's so expensive to print them. Um, so maybe the the big indies uh, with a big team of um, people behind them um, can can make a profit, but most of most of us are doing it um, to to share um, kind of our passion for what we're doing. And uh, so it's going to be a fun little trip. It's kind of a work trip, but not really. <laughs> uh, and that might be my last foreign holiday this year. And then uh, when I come back from that, I'm doing three weeks up to the Scottish Highlands um, trekking Thanks. with. The wind. We're, we're basically going to um, uh, road trip all the amazing kind of uh, climbing areas and, and trekking areas and do a, a, couple of, uh, a couple of night treks here and there. In Scotland, you're allowed to camp anywhere you like. They um, nice. uh, have a, a right to roam in Scotland. We don't have in England. Um, so it's a fantastic place to, to go uh, wild camping anywhere you like. It's great.
1: Nice. That's so, I didn't know that, so that's good to know. Um, I have family in England, so maybe I'll make them camp. In yeah. <laughs> We're camping, okay? <laughs> Where can we find you?
0: I'm not in America yet, actually, my magazine.
1: <laughs> You're not? Yeah.
0: No. Um, but we. Got to get over here. Over, yeah, we send over to America. America is quite hard because you don't really have magazine stores in the same way that we have over in Europe, unfortunately, because um, you have some great bookstores. So there's that there's a crazy magazine store, Casa, in New York, um, which is absolutely rammed full of magazines. So there's a there's a few dotted around the country, but it, it's much harder to to get get over into America. You can find our internet site, um, RunWildMagazine.com. There's about five or six articles up online, so you can have a read through on Instagram, RunWildMag, and Twitter. Um, yeah, get in touch.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much, Carson, for joining me on the Roaming the Earth podcast, stories and adventures of people who are jet setters, nomads, and explorers. This is Drea Castro signing off. Join us again next time. Stay wild. If you're interested in hearing more stories from around the globe, don't forget to subscribe. Share it to your friends. And follow me on Instagram on I'm Roaming the Earth.